and welcome to episode 209 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, joined as always by Ryan Top, Paul Noonan. Uh, we're doing this on Sunday night, and as you all know, first two games of the NLDS between the Brewers and Braves, game apiece. So we're basically looking at a best of three series here. Uh, we'll talk about all of that, the good, which was the pitching, the bad, which was the offense, and everything else in between. Uh but I guess first we got some housekeeping to take care of. Ryan, we finally blew up the ball. Uh, so we put that video up on uh, the Twitter account at MKE Tailgate if you haven't seen it yet. But how are you feeling post-ceremony here? Oh, the, the ceremony was a hell of a lot of fun. We actually had some <laughs> random people over at our house. My wife had some coworkers over. Uh, and so they happened <laughs> to be around and our next door neighbors came over because I told them we were barbecuing a baseball and they couldn't resist the temptation to see what the hell was up with that. So, uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a few people around. And then, uh, of course, Steve came over and uh, the ball being soaked in kerosene meant that there was really nothing left. That thing just lit and burned. I didn't even soak it that long. It was in there for like three, three and a half hours. And, uh, yeah, there was nothing left. I pulled out the the tiny little core at the very end there and tossed it into uh, a water bucket. And it just it was ash and it just disintegrated. So there's oh, nothing wow. left. Like Good. I was hoping to keep like a little something like like the no, melted no, no, Darth no. Vader mask. No, no, you, you no remnants. <laughs> this is how the devil magic comes from the embers and re-sparks. Have you never seen a horror movie sequel? Come on, seriously. Well, like, so is- it, you don't have to worry because it's gone. It's dead. It's it's beyond <laughs> the universe now. Ryan takes a quick note, get rid of Remnant of Baseball hidden in room right after this. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Oh, man. Well, it it seemed to work out all right. At least our intentions helped uh, the Cardinals lose the wildcard game. So there's that. I know, like, Brewers fandom was sort of torn on who to cheer for in that game, right? Because on one hand, you know, the Cardinals might be the easier way to the World Series should the Brewers get there. On the other hand... I can't cheer for the Cardinals to win anything in my life. So I guess, what were your guys' feelings on that wild card game? This this happens a lot, and you don't have to cheer for anybody. That's the thing. Like yeah. You are not obligated to throw your support behind anything. And it is perfectly logical to root against two, two teams playing each other, even though one has to win. So that's fine, and that's what I do. And you, nobody has to be conflicted about this. You, you don't have any bearing on... I mean, the baseball that we fried, that does have a bearing on things, but uh, <laughs> but you don't in real life have a bearing on what's going to happen. So it's fine to hate the Cardinals and not want to play the Dodgers at the same time and be kind of happy with whatever happens. That's that's my thing. It's good the Cardinals are out. The Cardinals in the playoffs, are that's, it sucks. And anything that stops them from adding more World Series is ultimately a good thing. Yeah, the thing is, no matter what happened in that game, either the Cardinals or the Dodgers was going to be out. And that's a good outcome. So just take yeah. the happiness of it and then accept the fact that they both couldn't lose, though that would have been just. But mm. you just then move forward. And now I don't know exactly what to even root for in this Giants-Dodgers series. I guess the Dodgers are up or the, the Dodgers are tied 1-1, right? Yep. That's also split. That one feels like it's going to go five games. And I might have a similar feeling about the Brewers series, but we can get to that in a second. But uh, yeah, uh, 
a lot of playoff series, I guess, outside of the, the Houston White Sox series have seemed pretty close so far. Although as we're recording this, I guess the, the White Sox are trying to make a little dead cat bounce rally here down 0-2 in that series. So we'll keep an eye on yeah, that. Yeah, they were but... down 5-1. to one, And just as we were coming on here, they're now down 5-3 to three on a Yaz bomb. So <laughs> there you go. Tough, yeah. I, yeah, I, I guess I'm just rooting for the Astros so I don't have to watch the Brewers at freaking noon play a playoff game at noon on a Monday. That mm-hmm. just seems wrong. <laughs> yep. That is a perfectly uh, cromulent thing to root for. I <laughs> I have no love for the Astros, but, you know, in this case, it, it affects yeah my ability to watch the Brewers game. So I'm all in on. Yeah, I'm all in on that. Yeah. We're all for rooting for convenience here. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that because that could at least change how many of us get to actually watch that game tomorrow on Monday. Uh, so yeah, let's, uh, we'll dive into the NLDS here, but first we always want to remind you, you can help support us and the reporting as eligible game too, uh, by becoming a patron that's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate two bucks a month. You can help us out. You'll get question priority here too, uh, both on this podcast and the reporting is eligible Packers podcast Yep. Uh, reminder there as well. And I'm sure Paul, you're going to have plenty to talk about. Yeah. If any, Sunday if anybody wants there. to have their voice heard, this is a good time to do it because that was the stupidest game of football played. So feel, feel free to jump in and get in. That's for any, any level of patronage that anybody gives, you don't have to be a ball and glove. You just have to be at the, uh, the minimum there so bring it on yep, yep. but speaking of that ball glove low uh level i should say <laughs> five bucks a month uh gets you that level and you get that extra content as well you get the minor league extra podcast with ryan and james anderson from roto wire you also get paul's reporting as eligible preview mini pods uh he'll do the best he can to preview every game but i don't think paul even you could foresee half a dozen mixed kicks missed kicks in like three minutes it wasn't quite so mini pod this week still pretty good but this game was too insane to actually predict correctly but hit hit, hit some of the high points what did a really good job this week was actually the tech mobile simulation um Mm. even though it had the the packers losing it sort of predicted how the game would go pretty well (laughs) so uh, there's that also if you join at the ball and glove level as soon as this podcast posts um there'll be um a song about the bears up there too so. Oh, nice. Okay, another thing to look forward to. Another Paul original. Yep. Can't can't wait to hear you sing again. That's uh, great. Yeah, it's terrible, but you know, it's what it is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the White Sox just took a uh, six to five lead. Really? Wow. Yeah. Good for them. There you go. Did TLR get some lights shut off or something? Is that? Yeah, yeah. The the ribbon band stopped flashing or something. Like Somebody that. put Grandpa know. to bed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yes, uh patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Uh sign up become my patron. You get all that extra content. Uh Packers podcast this week will definitely be one to listen to because you know people say games are drunk all the time, but that was uh, one I felt like that game was actually drunk. I could not understand what was happening. And both coaches seemed to go, you know, numb at the end there and uh, I, I don't know what happened. Anyway, <laughs> I'll let you talk about the football on the football podcast. Let's shift to the NLDS. Uh, plenty to talk about there, too, over this past weekend. Uh, you know, as I mentioned at the top, we're tied 1-1. A uh, little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Uh, you know, game three, Monday 
afternoon at some point. We'll see what time first pitch actually is, depending on that Astros-White Sox game. But uh, good chance a lot of you are probably going to listen to this after that, you know, series, potentially serious swinging game three. But, you know, we'll, we'll focus first on the first two games over the weekend. Uh, so, you know, obviously we were kind of expecting this to sort of be a pitching matchup, right? Uh, at least the first two starters kind of went toe-to-toe. So you had Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. They did uh, pretty solid. A little shaky command we can talk about there too. But then Charlie Morton and Max Freed really went toe-to-toe with them and, and kind of kept the Braves in this series. So uh, I guess let's just start big picture. Paul, your impressions on how the Brewers have been able to pitch and kind of hang in there in the first couple of games, even though they've had no offense. So I think you got what you wanted out of Corbin Burns, even though he wasn't quite as sharp as normal. He still dominated, which they really, really, really needed. Um, my big worry about that game one is just they uh, they unloaded a lot of ammunition in that game. And I think they were kind of counting on Woodruff out-dueling um, Max Fried in, the, in game two um, to rest guys and not have to kind of belabor the bullpen um, and just didn't get it. So... I'm I'm a little worried just because they used so many people in game one um, that are you know potential starters and things like that. Um, but uh, you know it, it's okay to be one one at this point. It's it's fine. Um, this was the I think coin flip part of the series, and we talked about last week. Like if they come out of this one one, that the Brewers do have better depth at pitching, and they should have an advantage going against the back end of the Braves rotation. Um, so it's it's the postseason, small as it might be, but um, you know it's it's all right that they are where they are. They of course have to start hitting, and I'm as worried about the hitting as everybody else is. But also worth noting that the, the Braves' top two pitchers are very very good, and that also mm-hmm. impacts your ability to hit. And even in the game where they got shut out, they they put a lot of people on base. Um, it, it was it wasn't like they were. It, they didn't get the doors blown. This wasn't like one of those games where they almost get no hit. Um, it was for a little bit, but uh, they they got six hits and walked three times. They had nine guys on base. Um, they they had some cluster luck issues. Um, yes, they should have hit better than they did, but it could have been a lot worse. And I know I watched the same game. It often looked helpless, but they all, they also were threatening for especially a lot of the later innings. They had guys on base. They put um, guys on base multiple times and couldn't cash in. And that's not always the worst thing in the world. It means that you're actually, you know, presenting a threat and you just need some things to break the right way. So, yeah, it wasn't great, but I think they're in pretty good shape going forward. Yeah, I think I agree with that pretty much down the board. Obviously, not ideal when you only give up in the course of two games, four runs to come out of it with only one win. But Mm -hmm. on the other side of things, the Braves can look at it and say that, uh, you know, they only gave up the the two runs and they only won one game. So mm -hmm. from that perspective, it it really was very much a pitcher's duel. And I think to Paul's point about how much the bullpen of the Braves did start allowing guys on late in the game yesterday, I think it's worth pointing out that the Brewers had two runners on in every inning in the seventh, eighth, and ninth against the bullpen and just weren't able to cash in with that big hit, including... In the eighth and ninth, both had uh, uh, guys, two runners on with nobody out. And Mm -hmm. on one hand, yeah, that's super frustrating as a fan to sit there and watch it and to go, why can't you get the big hit? Why can't you get the big hit? But as Paul said, 
cluster luck is a thing and you can't necessarily control that. And the, the Brewers offense is not an excellent unit. Like at its no. best this year, <laughs> when it was going well, it was a good unit. But yeah. it was never it was never even even then at that point, never a lights out unit where they were just mashing in runs. You have to go and look at some other teams to see examples of that. Oddly, the Giants like mm-hmm. had that this year, but the Brewers were never a powerful offense that way. What they were able to do was take advantage of of situations and really get at bullpens. And that's why they had such this huge number of comeback wins this season. And so it wasn't like a surprise to see them start getting to to the bullpen. And we're not going to have to see Max Fried again, no matter what. That's that is positive. I think that they had from what I could tell, they had a better game against uh against Morton in the first outing than they did against Freed in the second. Yep. So they're not going to have to see Freed again. <clears throat> so it honestly, and this is why we always talk about this and we, we harp on it, but like in the postseason, you can't really control what your outcomes are going to be. You mm-hmm. just have to sort of accept that in a five game series, just about any stupid thing can happen. And yep. right now the offense is, is relatively cold though. There, there are some positive signs of life. I think that they could break through, and the pitching for the the Braves does get easier. We're looking at uh, we're looking at Ian Anderson in Game Three, and then potentially Huskari Noah in Game Four. Have they said for sure yet? I was trying to look around before. Okay, they're they're playing that close to the vest. But and before we move off Max Fried, really quickly, one thing that a lot of people pointed out online, just as an oddity of the game was that um, the platoon splits worked against the Brewers against Max Fried. Um, the same side are, the same side batters were actually quite good against him in small sample size that there was. Um, the opposite side guys were basically helpless against him. And worth noting, he actually had reverse platoon, uh, platoon splits this year. Um, he dominated both sides pretty well, but um, lefties against him had a 707 OPS and righties only 611. So it, it's a 100-point split um, backwards, and maybe it shouldn't have been quite as heavy as it was against him because he does seem to just... Um, those are close platoon splits, and it's probably better just play your good players against him regardless of, of hand side on, on this, I think. Right. So I guess the question there is, should Rabia Telez have started game two? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that would be one. <laughs> because I think, if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't Yelich the only lefty batter, I guess... Other than Woodruff in the lineup against Freed, they they did go super righty heavy, or at least switch heavy. So, um, yeah. So I guess Ryan, could you have made an argument for Rowdy, like game one home run notwithstanding? You know, we already know he does do pretty well against lefties too. This is consistent, by the way. That that is a career line for Max. He is reverse platoon splits for his whole career. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not a changeup situation. Oftentimes, you'll see that with lefties Weird. that uh, <laughs> that it's a changeup thing. That it, a lefty that has a really good changeup will often have a reverse platoon split. But Freed only throws his changeup like two percent of the time, so that's definitely yeah. not it. So I'm not sure exactly what the deal is. I know that the Rays under Joe Madden would often do this. They had certain guys that or, that they in the division 
looked at as reverse platoon guys. And you would see a lefty starter. I can't think of exactly who these people were now, but you'd see like the Rays come out with like seven left-handed batters stacked up against a left-handed starter. And Mm -hmm. people would be like, what is happening? And it's like, well, they... They've identified that this guy, you know, they're going to be better off with lefties facing this guy because of the reverse platoon split issue. Yeah. But for his career, it's, it's like really, 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 really close. It's almost right down the middle. But still, like, you know, it's close enough that it's worth not loading up one side versus the other. Yeah. I mean, and again, I guess we possibly in game five could see him. Wouldn't that, Isn't that right? Oh, we could on. We could. Out of with the, the bullpen. And everything. Yep, yeah. It's totally possible. Yeah, we could see him especially out of the pen you would think charlie morton would get that start but then again they could turn to freed and that. and that yeah. does I mean, set up well all for hands them on now. Deck for that game so yeah you know. yes so yeah uh, shouldn't say that we're not going to see max freed again because maybe we will but yep. maybe they'll they'll have a different approach next time and that is the thing here is they're going to have to make adjustments on the fly and sort of figure out exactly what they need to do do we have numbers for Ian Anderson this year? Have did the Brewers face Ian Anderson? I am drawing a blank memory wise. I do not remember an Ian Anderson start, so doesn't come to mind. And you know, like the Braves have had so much turnover sometimes that also yeah. true. Yeah, I I remember a Drew Smiley start, but I don't remember an Ian Anderson start. Um, I guess while you guys look that up too, I I kind of <laughs> want to circle back to uh, the Brewers pitching. Know? Um, so, you know, Paul kind of mentioned that the Brewers, Craig kind of managed, uh, balls to the wall on game one, really, you know, they threw out Adrian Hauser for two innings, probably almost could have gone for three. Uh, I think some people were maybe surprised to see that, but you know, it's something that we talked about pretty extensively last week too, that possibility of Freddie and or Hauser or, uh, Lauer even kind of making that bullpen appearance and, Lo and behold, Adrian Hauser against that righty lineup of the Braves just kind of mowed him down and, and kept things clamped down for a while there. So, um, you know, Paul, I know you were kind of maybe worried about using some of those big arms, but wasn't that the right move at the time just to kind of get through that, especially with how Corbin kind of labored through those six innings? It was. Um, the, the, the big, I think... Uh, question mark there is Freddie um, and whether that affects him. But I, I think Hauser's just going to be a, a bullpen guy and a long bullpen guy for this series, and that's okay. So th- that was great. And, uh, you know, with that sinker, and, you know, if he throws gas, I think he is maybe the, the, the correct choice there for your fireman to some extent. So that's fine. Um, and by the way, I looked it up. I'm sure Ryan did too. Um, Ian Anderson defeated the Brewers on May 15th. Um, the, the Braves won five to one. He did win over mm-hmm. Brett Anderson. So, not, you know, whatever, not a big deal, but he did shut down the Brewer lineup pretty well. So uh, it's a one game sample, but it did happen. So uh, if you want to be worried about something, there you go. Well, the thing to point out <laughs> about that, too, though, is that was the Brewer lineup on May 15th, which included that was pre-Adamus. Yeah. Right. That was Daniel Vogelbach. So the the, th- uh, the four, five, six in that Ooh, lineup. Travis Shaw's in that game. Yep. Yeah, that was a Vol- terrible Reyes lineup. Played. Yeah. Jackie Bradley started. Yeah, it's a bad lineup. That's a Sunday special if ever there was one. Well, I mean, and this was just what they were running out in May before. Yeah, yeah, it was not good. And that's kind of why I've always said, you know, we did the look back on Brew Crew Ball of the first six games going in. But, I mean, both of these te- teams have just changed so much between every meeting that it's kind of 
silly to draw too many conclusions based off that. Yeah. But and if you want to take something positive out of it in that game, uh, the Brewers did have some trouble hitting him, but they didn't have any problems walking against him. They took four walks in six innings. So that's at least something to look at and look forward to. Ian Anderson is uh, much uh, he his control is definitely a, a, a knockdown from the other two guys that we just saw. So the Brewers patient right. approach should be hopefully rewarded against Ian Anderson. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be accused of jinxing this. But yeah, it's he is a guy who will uh, will allow you to get on base via the walk if you're patient and willing to work him. So fingers yeah. crossed on that. Yeah, and it's sort of like the the Saturday night game, right? It's just getting opportunities with guys on base. Like the more chances that they have, the better chances they'll have of scraping a few runs across, even as much as they've struggled from time to time in in that regard. Um, I guess on the topic of the offensive struggles or just the identity of the team, I think is kind of what we landed on. This is the same team that we've seen all September. Uh, and for most of the year, too. But our first Patreon question comes from Mike Chamernick. He's asking, is the Brewers offense broken or has it just been a bad two games? Ryan, your take on that. Uh, this has been a bad two games from an offense that, like I said before, isn't great. They're solid mm -hmm. and they got shut down pretty good here with the sort of the caveats that we put out there that there were there were some things to like about what they did once they got freed out of the game on Saturday night. But yeah, this is this is sort of part of what you get with this offense is and I think part of this is they don't have the big lineup anchors that you generally associate with really good offenses. They don't have a Christian Yelich 2018, 2019 in there. They have Christian Yelich 2021. It's a different cat, you know? <laughs> so a... that's the that's sort of where they're stuck with this. But that doesn't mean they can't win it. It's just a matter of they're going to need more contributions up and down the lineup. And right now, nobody has been particularly awful. I was just looking at all of the the offensive numbers for the Brewers throughout this entire thing so far. And just about everybody who's had a significant amount of plate appearances here actually does have a hit in the series. So mm -hmm. guys are getting completely shut down. Uh Yeah. You have to go down to Manny Pena as the first guy in terms of plate appearances who doesn't have a hit. So they've been getting some hits. It's just, one, they don't have any big hits other than the Rowdy home run, which is really the only, is that the only extra base hit they've had? No, Willie Adamas had a double in game two. Okay, Willie also had a double. Okay. But really, they haven't been hitting for much power, but... There's there's something kind of going on with the lineup where uh, not everybody is completely lost and helpless. Uh, the strikeout numbers are disturbing <laughs> when you look at yeah Willie Adams has five in eight at bats. Yeah, Colton Charlie Long. Morton was just mowing through them the first two times through the order. Yes, he Almost was. Almost to the point that you know you couldn't blame Brian Snicker for keeping him out there as long as he did before yep. Rowdy burned him for the home run because he was rolling but uh, he didn't make that same mistake on Saturday and got Max Freed out after six innings before he gave up that home run uh, that uh, you know that Morton did so uh, yeah but Charlie Morton was rolling and dude I don't know how a 37 year old's throwing 97 mile an hour heat still but 
he's just a freaking wonder at this point. <laughs> well, he, he didn't throw a lot of heat in his 20s because he was at the Pirates and they hadn't figured out how to actually <laughs> <laughs> unleash his He heat saved yet. it up. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got miles on the arm left, I guess. Yeah. Um, Paul, I guess, yeah. Are, are you just on this is kind of what the offense is? Was it just running into two really good pitching performances or all of the above i mean that's it that's the math they're they're an average-ish offense um and they were playing against two of the best pitchers in the league and that is their sort of lot in life at this point they got to pitch like dynamite and scrape runs together against really good teams and they're capable of doing it most of the time but um and, and you know they should they should be better against the lesser starters of of this team so Hopefully that actually happens because we've also seen him just go in the tank for a while every now, every now and then. But, but I, I think you can be optimistic because everything's working against him at, at, at the top level against playoff teams. When you get down to three, four, and five, um, well, at least game three, maybe four, everything should be better from an offensive perspective. I guess speaking of game three, as we mentioned, Freddie Peralta getting that game three start against Ian Anderson. I know kind of at the outset of the series, there was some talk that maybe Freddie would be game four instead of game three. Uh, Paul, I guess, how do you feel about Freddie starting game three, especially considering it could be a pretty important swing game? Are you kind of nervous about this at all? Uh, I, I'm always nervous about Freddie generally. I think he has... Uh, he can be more dominant than the other two, but he also can get crazy as well. He's the higher variance guy, but he's the right choice because he is better. He's your next best starter, and you want to use your starters in that order, especially like if he pitches now and he, if they win, you can maybe bring him back as a reliever for game five if necessary, and sure. that's also valuable. So this is definitely the thing to do. If he pitches game four, he's done for the series. If he pitches game three, he's not necessarily done for the series, and he gives you the best chance to win that game. So I think the calculus there is pretty simple. And uh, I also don't think he will be impacted by game one very much. That's likely his throw day. He didn't throw a ton of pitches. So I, I think he's. Uh, this is clearly the right choice to pitch him game three. Yeah, I mean, he was hot and ready to come in in the event that Lorenzo Cain had gotten on, but he made that last out of the bottom yeah. of the seventh and... So that became academic. It would have been very interesting to see. I was actually legitimately very curious. We were uh, excited yeah. in yes. my section to see that this was happening. <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God, what is like, happening this, here? This is really something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it was sort of the what we had talked about as you know, Craig was going to unleash his, his starters in a variety of roles. And it just in that case turned out not to be needed, though. We can come back to it. But Craig definitely should have gone to Ashby. But that's <laughs> yeah. for for Jock. But ended up being okay. But it, yeah. it ended up working. I it worked out. But yeah. So but fair point. Yes. No. I mean, it, this yeah. was a good call. It. I think really the the only call that makes a lot of sense is to go there. It does put Lauer in sort of a, a a weird, touchy situation for Game Four in the event that they lose. They're really then going to need Lauer to step up and do well against a Braves lineup that I think plays much better against lefties or sorry, against righties than it or sorry. The Brewers pitching plays better against the Braves when they're throwing right handers out there because the there Braves <laughs> are built around right handed power yeah. and Snicker running that same lineup out there in game two after in game one, Craig Council showed that you could really mow through the the meat of that order 
by just you know, going with right-handed heavy guys because he wasn't switching it up and wasn't giving them a lot of options uh, in terms of lefties with really that entire run from Albies through uh, through Solaire. So like seven spots in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And the only left-handed bat in there of any consequence was Rosario. And that's just like poor management. And I don't know what his fascination is with like having Adam Duvall in the five spot, like because he has all the RBIs, I guess. He's the RBI guy. He's yeah. the RBI guy. So he's gotta he's gotta be in the fifth spot. <laughs> but it was it was really Craig was putting on a master class on him in game one in terms of just being able to outmanage him and then kind of coughed up an unnecessary run by leaving Ashby or on the bench and not bringing him in to face jock. But uh, still, I, I like the advantage that the Brewers have in this series with Craig council over Snicker. Cause I don't think Snicker is very good at getting the most out of his guys and get putting them in the right position to succeed. No, yeah, and like we mentioned, Snicker was a little slow maybe to get the bullpen going behind Morton in game one, and that ended up burning them. You know, like, even realistically, you probably could have made an argument he should have been pulled after he walked Vogelbach to start that inning, right? He was clearly, like, losing control there, and then then Rowdy just teed off on a total hanging pitch there. Uh, Epic bat flip. It's going to make a great bobblehead in (laughs) 10 years. Um, But but yeah, I, I mean, he he kind of made that adjustment in game two too. But I I agree that you know the managerial edge probably goes to the Brewers in this too, even though Snicker beat Council for a Manager of the Year award a year or two ago. So uh, that's just how that goes. Um, all right. So I guess looking forward to the the next part of the series, we've talked about you know enough about what's happened already let's look ahead a little bit more we've got another patreon question about freddie peralta's start here comes from brad westness he's asking will freddie throw eight shutout innings or give up eight runs in the first there is no (laughs) third option paul which one are you choosing i'll go eight shutout innings i think freddie's actually i think he responds to pressure pretty well um i like big game freddie quite a bit i i'll i will take him to show up and be dominant this time around um, he is also really, really, really tough on righties. Um, and uh, so it's just a nice matchup for him. And uh, I, I like his temperament for this kind of thing. So I will go with dominant. Yeah, I I can't pick anything other than dominant because that would just be too sad. So <laughs> it would go dominant. <laughs> oh, man. Like, yeah, if he gave up eight runs in the first inning of game three, is that kind of like the gut punch where it's just sort of like eh, the series is over at that point or uh well, no it's not over i, I know like but it, it, it would be hard to kind of get over that malaise or that feeling it, yeah right? but Especially. i mean it's not like throwing supon out there or sean markham with no shoulder left right. out there you know freddie's good if he gets beat he gets beat but uh yeah. this is all tactically sound and he's an excellent pitcher so we're uh yeah. but we, we don't have to overreact to that hey if he gets blown up in the first you sit him down, you rest him, you bring him back game five. There you go. Yeah, and we saw, you know, Corbin kind of had a rough first inning there too in game one and rebounded nicely. So I think both of those guys have tended to be, you, you got to get to them early, otherwise you're not getting to them. So uh, fingers crossed it's a good first inning for Freddie. Our next Patreon question comes from Brian Polakowski. He says, thanks for hashtag blow up the ball. Glad to see the money raised 
for a good cause and Steve's beefcake montage at the video <laughs> end of the video was amazing. Uh, if you didn't watch to the end, he snuck in a few of our favorite shots of uh, Ryan at the end and, of course, Hernan Perez because that's Steve's true love in life. Um, so, yeah, that, that was that was a great uh, edit job there. Again, go to the MKE Tailgate Twitter feed. Give us a follow. Watch that video there. Brian does have a real question. He's saying, uh, do you guys think the Brewers score four or more runs in either game in Atlanta, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to the offense is going to get going at some point here, especially against not free to not Morton. So uh, you, you got to think that that's going to happen if they don't. It probably means that the series and the postseason ends way sooner than we would all like. And then you go into the offseason with the mandate of having to fix the offense. And I think that may be where they're headed anyway. They're going to probably need to look at doing something not drastic, but maybe impactful on the offensive side down the road. But yep. I I think that's probably regardless of what happens here, I guess, aside from the offense all of a sudden going on fire and them reeling off 10 straight wins behind you know 10 runs a game or something. You, you get four there at some point. So um, the, the Brewers did it a couple times in Atlanta. I'm, I think I'm trying to scroll through baseball reference real quick. Um, not even hitting that well. So um, yeah. it, it, the thing is like, you know, we, we average out the whole season uh, with start starts against good pitchers and bad pitchers and whatnot. But um Going forward, you're not going to get Atlanta's best pitchers. And so, yes, it's likely that they'll break through at least once and get more than four runs at least once. Hopefully more than once, but um, it'll happen. Yeah, I think, you know, when we saw the Brewers play in Atlanta earlier this year, they had won two out of three in that series, and they did hit really well. Um, I think they also had that kind of heart attack game where they scored 10 runs. They were up like, what, 10 to four or something ridiculous and it ended up being 10 to 9 <laughs> at the end there so um you know that that's always something to keep in mind too the braves can also hit very well at home but uh you know hopefully the warmer weather down south sunnier skies the ball will be flying in a 1 p.m local time start <laughs> and i think we will see some offense there for sure all right our uh next patreon question comes from jay google of course he's Asking, has it surprised you for a team so disciplined at the plate this year to all of a sudden look so undisciplined in two playoff games? I think Jay's talking about the strikeouts, Ryan. Uh, but I guess what struck you about the Brewers' approach at the plate so far? Yeah, you're looking at, so far in this entire series, a <laughs> oof. Yeah, you're looking at a 24-5 to 5 strikeout to walk ratio, and that's definitely not ideal in two games Don't that's that. yep. <laughs> far from that's ideal yep I guess I'm not I'm a little bit surprised I, you, I guess I was hoping for better but I'm not shocked because we have seen them go into runs like this at various points in the season so it's not stunning uh what you would hope for is to see some more power than what they've displayed in the series and to if they're going to be uh, sort of an all or nothing offense, you'd like to see the all a little bit more often <laughs> in that yeah. case. So, but it's it's this is sort of a piece of of what they are, and it's part of the construction of this team. They don't have at the moment that that centerpiece piece of the lineup 
or several guys to be able to, to build the offense around. So when it doesn't work, it sort of it can look pretty bad at times. Yep. I mean, this team strikes out a lot it did in the regular season, and they, they walk. They're pretty good at walking, and it's not like they didn't walk, but it's hard to walk against guys who aren't missing the zone. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you are not a big power threat. You know, there's a couple different kinds of walks. There's walks that you get by being good at identifying pitches, and there's walks that you get by scaring the other pitcher into throwing strikes. And the Brewers don't really do that. Like, if you think about who walks a ton for them, it's Yelich, who just has a fantastic eye, but can't seem to hit anymore. And like Jace Peterson, who, you know, doesn't scare anybody with his bat, but is just exceptional at, at you know, picking up walks. And uh, like a lot of the other guys who have good OBPs, like even Colton Wong is, you know, a good hitter, but not a great hitter, but just has a fantastic eye for the ball. So when you get guys who are just throwing it over the plates the whole time, their walks are going to suffer. And they still walked a decent amount for how, how the pitching was. Um, so, I mean, they strike out a lot. A lot of teams strike out a lot. And uh, that's just kind of how they are. But I wouldn't even necessarily say they were that undisciplined. It's more that they were bad at making contact. <laughs> uh, I mean, they weren't getting fooled all the time. They were just getting dominated. I mean, it, one of the big commentaries after both games was that apparently the Brewers' secret weakness is ball straight down the middle. They, they missed a bunch of balls straight down the middle. Um, and uh, that's, that's a problem. But, you know, they're trying to walk and extend at bats and... Um, aren't necessarily even good at crushing balls right down the middle. So there, there is that too. Yeah, they yeah. probably need to be focused on being a little bit more aggressive in cases yeah. like that where... Early in at-bats. Early in at-bats, looking for a pitch to ambush and really smack it. Like, that is that is probably a thing that this team could use a, a healthy dose of. And I think it was one of the transformations that the Astros made from that initial lineup that they had in, say, 2015-16 to 2017 when they really brought they brought in a few new guys and they were all very low strikeout guys and guys who were very uh, focused on on making contact especially early in plate appearances i think that's when they brought in brantley that's when they brought in jake marisnik and yes they also were doing the trash can thing at that time but (laughs) the, the the change was with that team was much more about like the personnel changes and also just some general approach changes that they made uh, and the Brewers could use, I think, some of that here. You don't want to see them getting away from taking a bunch of walks because walking is good and you do want guys to get on base. I think it, it is helpful to look at one instance here. I was a little surprised. So Yelich only has three strikeouts in the series and he has two walks. He's the only guy with multiple walks. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's an indication that like the Braves are still respecting his ability to, to hurt them. And this has been our big mystery this whole year has been why are teams still being so careful with Christian Yelich? Because he hasn't really shown that he can hurt anybody in any significant way in the last, you know, like 200 baseball games that they've played. Basically, (laughs) like he, he hasn't shown that ability, though. I guess that isn't that isn't entirely true. JP, if he's listening, he's probably not. But if he was, he would be he would be clucking his tongue at me about the fact that, well, he actually did hit for power in 20 uh in 2020 yeah he but did. he was he, he was not making contact as much so it, also it, that season doesn't count right 2020 yeah. doesn't exist it, which he also said on the most recent uh um there's no off season so yeah. yeah yeah anyway yeah it's it is a an interesting situation that teams still do seem to be avoiding giving him pitches to hit and i don't can't wrap my head quite around why that is still 
it was interesting too to see Craig Council move Yelich down to the lineup in game two as well. Uh, you know, maybe part of that's the lefty, but you know, the the platoon splits haven't, I guess, always been a huge concern for Christian, but uh, they did move him down in the order too. So uh, whether that's, I don't, I don't know the reasoning there, I guess, other than, you know, trying to get more pop in the top of the lineup, maybe. Uh, with a guy like Escobar, but uh, would you take Yelich and put him back at the top of the lineup and maybe move Colton Wong b- down to third behind Willie Adamas? Mm-hmm. I, I, I would not do that personally. I would mm-hmm. keep Yelich, Ye- keep Yelich a little bit further back and leave Colton at the top. I still wouldn't panic on him just because of recent things. And um, I, I feel like Yelich, even though he does walk and has walked the series, is still just too vulnerable and too easy to get out if you really need to get somebody out yeah my personal theories is back is still totally screwed and that's why he hasn't been able to hit for power this year but maybe that's just blind optimism i don't know <laughs> not sure if yeah. that counts as optimism <laughs> i know yeah i guess seems the, the other side of that is yeah he's what 30 and has chronic back problems so probably not great for the rest of that mega contract but uh I, I guess that's my reasoning for why he hasn't been able to hit for anything. I don't know. Um, I guess the other aspect of Jay's question here, he, he was, you know, of course, asking if we were surprised that the Brewers were so undisciplined. But I guess I'm more surprised that the Braves have been so disciplined. You know, like we went through our series preview last week, too, and noted the guys like Albies and Swanson and, and those guys. Yeah, they're 30 ro- home run power guys but you know their obps in the 310 320s the braves weren't exactly a team that were patient grinding out at bats and here they go and make corbin burns throw like what 20 pitches to the first two batters um and you know make josh Hader labor a little bit too so i think i've just kind of been impressed with the at-bats the braves have been able to grind out too i don't i don't know about you guys that's kind of taken me by surprise yeah uh it it's it's kind of surprising but it's not like the entire offense of the Braves is undisciplined. They have a couple of guys that you can get out, but like, you know, Freddie Freeman's a very hard out. He is responsible for a good chunk of long at bats sure. um, and, and ground that out quite a bit. And uh, they, they, up and down the lineup, they have, you know, high OBP guys too. And if you get in trouble with any of them, it can really drive your pitch count. And I think that actually happened with Corbin, especially. Um, so, uh, th- yeah, th- they have those guys, but they have th- it's a better lineup than the Brewers have. And th- this is one of the reasons why you can you can survive a lot better with low OBP guys um, who do other things. Well, if you have a couple of high OBP guys and power mashers to to fix some of the problems they cause to be on base and to be pests when they're up there and to, um, you know, just generally score runs by themselves once in a while. So um, that's one of the benefits of having a better offense than the Brewers have. And yeah, they have undisciplined guys, but they have also disciplined guys. <laughs> sure. That's, that's fair. All right. Our next Patreon question, I guess last about the Braves series specifically uh, comes from Adam post. He says, all right, prediction time. How many games will the Brewers win in Atlanta? Uh, so Ryan one, two is the series over in Atlanta or are we hoping for a game five? What do you see happening in Atlanta this week? I think they're going to take two in Atlanta. Ooh. Okay. Hey, I've been I've been positive this whole time. I'm not going to stop now. So let's <laughs> keep it rolling. Just blind optimism there? Is there an actual reason behind that? 
I mean, I think that they're the better team, and I think that they now get to face the the back end of a Braves rotation that isn't nearly as good as the back end of what the Brewers can put out there. They have better pitching depth than the Braves do. So on that front, I think they're, the offense is going to get going a little bit more, and the pitching is going to stay sound, and they're going to, to take a couple games from them there. Yeah, Paul, I actually also think the Brewers will win the next two. Um, mm-hmm. I think Freddie will win his start. I, I like how that matches up for them. And I think that they'll essentially bullpen game four um, with whatever they need to and uh, and squeak that one out against a a subpar situation for the Braves where they'll have to make hard decisions on who they throw out there. So um, I, I like them to sweep that as well. If there is a game five, are you nervous at all about that? Yes. Either of you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the nature of a game five is nerve wracking, but I guess matchup wise and in how the Brewers would fare in that. I think the advantage still is with the Brewers at that point, because you have Corbin Burns out there and you would have Brandon Woodruff available and you would have the bullpen completely rested and presumably be able to go with anybody that you wanted. I think in that situation, Craig is going to manage circles around Brian Snicker and mm. uh, give me the Brewers and Craig every day of the week in that sort of situation. Yeah, it's a worse situation, though. You do want to sweep it if you can, because um, while all of that is true, the, the Braves will also be able to roll out their top guys again and we've seen them stymie the brewers quite a bit so um it get that then you come down to things like luck and stepping into a home run like rowdy did and it gets a lot more random uh, uh, randomness um you know generated than skill generated so yeah I, I like them but not as much and that's a much more worrisome situation Hopefully the American League is getting all of the bullshit weirdness with umpires out of the way. <laughs> Did you guys see what just happened in the game here? I, I have the audio off, but uh, yeah, this is a this is a weird situation. I don't quite know why they didn't uh, call Grandall out for you know, getting hit by a baseball well inside the line there, but they didn't. They let him get away with it. And now the, between that and the ground rule double in Boston, man, that the was just really a little wacky. Bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, fingers crossed. We we've kind of been lucky so far that there's been <laughs> no true umpire shenanigans. I guess in the first couple of yeah. Games if anybody here, wants so. to yell at the umps in the Brewers series, just don't. They've actually graded out pretty well in Game One. The Brewers actually, I think, on the ump scorecard got a slight advantage, and like every other series has had wacky stuff or Angel Hernandez or other nonsense. So like, <laughs> this, is, this has really been pretty good. I, I know there was some worry on Twitter about about um, Estabrook calling the game and some history he has with the team. He didn't. He called it in their favor, if anything, and mm-hmm. I think pretty much down the middle. So No, Estabrook, they had a, a pretty substantial advantage, 0.75 runs. Oh, that is big. Serves. Okay, yeah. so yeah. That's... It was game two that it was almost dead even. It was 0.09 in favor of the Brewers, but at that point, it's basically... Yeah, that's just nothing. It's coin flippy. Yeah, but the, the White Sox are now up by three and still rallying. And Zach Grinke's in in relief, by the way. So Oh, wow. Oh, there you go. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. In the meantime, yeah, Brewers, Braves, down to a best of three. Of course, you want to win the first two, right? So uh, fingers crossed that's what will happen, but we shall see. All right, uh, a few more Patreon questions to get to before we wrap up for this week. We've got one from Jason Albert. He says, I hate to trust my eyes, but I also don't feel great about trusting defensive metrics. So I'm wondering, has Christian Yelich always looked this bad in the field as he has this year? Gold glove notwithstanding, I know he was never elite, 
Maybe it's just a proximity to Kane and JBJ, but he doesn't look fast or quick, and his rag arm is even more painful to watch than normal. If I were an opposing team with even slightly above average speed at the plate, I'd try to stretch damn near every single into a hustle double on balls hit to his right. Dare him to throw me out. Uh, anyway, maybe it lends some credence to the fact that his back or whatever is not right has been busted all year. P.S. Remember back in April, May, when we were just hoping to tread water during the month uh, when he was out with the back injury, just biding his time until the bat was back. Yikes. Uh, so I guess the question in there is uh, just how much of a defensive liability is Christian Yelich, Paul? Um, so short answer is he's kind of a defensive liability. He's not great. But the long answer is. He plays in an outfield and in a position where it doesn't really matter. Um, but he's definitely worse than he has been. He he runs like an old hurt man, which a bad back will make you do. But he also runs like an old hurt tall man. Um, it, it He's starting to look a little bit like Corey Hart started to look when he started to get a little bit older. And uh, just get hard on your knees when you are uh, uh, that tall, that upright and doing a lot of running around. So. Um, I think he does look noticeably worse than when he was younger. When he was younger, he was a very good defender, especially in the corners. And I, I do think he's, he's, he looks like a hurt man. So um, maybe he gets healthy and gets a little bit better in the future, though that tends not to happen. But uh, I, I do think he's definitely not a plus right now. And, you know, he can only be so much of a liability in the corners, but he definitely is uh, not helping out there. Yeah, I don't. It's very hard for me to to say the numbers on it aren't awful. He's not looking god awful. I'm just kind of made a quick survey around and it, he's below average out there, but I don't know exactly how much to put into that. And I contrast what he looks like in the outfield with what he looks like on the base paths, which is still That's he runs the base as well. Thing. Yeah. yeah, he's still amazing on the bases. I also so. think he, he is a technique runner. Um, oh, yeah, very like much. He so. is like a Dave Winfield guy around the bases, where it looks like he's like hitting his steps properly, and he's always hitting second uh, with the proper gates. And I think a lot of the good base running is, yeah, he's not slow, but he's also like getting the most out of his strides out there. I think in the outfield, when he's got to think a little bit more and take indirect lines and change his direction a little bit more, it impacts him a little bit more too. Yeah, I I really I don't know exactly what to think of of where he's at just in his game as a whole. I hope I really really hope that it is a case of him being hurt. Though then as we've talked about like nobody had a bad back. So that's <laughs> one of those things that doesn't go away. So if that's the case then You'd, you'd like for there to be some explanation physical to what's going on with him that he just didn't like completely deteriorate. But then where do you go from there? Because chances are that doesn't get better. So that's just it's almost like a no win situation, no matter what in that case. Yep. And they do have quite a bit of time still left on that contract. <laughs> that, Sometimes like, you just get started screwed yet. on contracts and it- at some point, it becomes time to do drastic things with Yelich. Like, start working on first base defense. Start working on on platoon only. Start trying to crush pull balls and mm-hmm. um, see if you can get something out of them that way. And I don't know, not there yet, but it's not it's not going to be that far away pretty soon. I think we're we're at least a season from mm-hmm. seeing r- any real drastic measures uh, with Yelich. I think that you know he's still in his twenties and. 
there's enough of a track record there. And hopefully they they definitely have a better idea than we do of what exactly is going on with him. The fact that they haven't been able to fix it is not exactly reassuring, but yeah, it may not be something that they can totally control. So that, also, they're not they're hope. not great at fixing hitting. You know, um, mm-hmm. it might also pay to get him an outside um, opinion on things that are wrong at this point. It's, it's not really their specialty. That they're good at the pitching. <laughs> they're, they're they're not always great at uh, at that. You're treading dangerously close into uh, fire Andy Haynes territory, and I just won't stand for no. it. <laughs> Not fire him, but like it's, you it's know, an organizational failure is what Paul's it, saying. It, it yeah, get, nice get an outside hitting coach. It's not or like something. no bats have developed, depending on how you want to grade out Louis Urias for the year. He, um, you know, he's not from their organization, but his bats gotten better on the Brewers, so it's like it never happens. I'm not saying that. Just. Um, you know, th- there's not a ton of great growth of offensive players from inside the system. Most of the really good ones came from outside the system. No, you, you're 100% right. The The hitting thing that the Brewers are doing organizationally is definitely behind the pitching and mm-hmm. by leaps and bounds. But a big part of that is just because the pitching has been exceptional. They are the gold standard. Them, Cleveland, I, I guess maybe the Giants will get there if they kind of can prove that what they've done over the last year or two has staying power but they're pretty much the gold standard in terms of pitching development in baseball right now so the hitting wouldn't be able to keep up with that the hitting to be that exceptional then you'd be talking about you know some sort of historic fluke of of luck if if you were able to assemble all of that sort of talent together at the same time yeah, don't mind me. Meanwhile, I'm just Googling, can you cryogenically freeze a back? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe uh, he needs to give Ryan Braun a call and, and see if there's any sort of clinic that could give him I still him think some he needs just there, a giant but... piece of armor on his knee and just to go in the cage and, and just <laughs> literally just bash pulled balls for like a solid week. <laughs> into the armor and just yeah, yeah. well not into Go the armor it. but like just prove that you're not going to break it again like yeah. do it until he feels comfortable doing it and then he'll be fine wait yeah, that still... the freezing the back thing isn't that why nba players always go to switzerland and like go get cryogenically frozen in that machine they yeah, have over like there a, that hasn't been approved over here yet <laughs> in a chamber get some blood spun yeah all that stuff I... <laughs> go <laughs> go get the keith richards full oil change <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, at this point, they got to try something. Uh, it'll be a long winter. He can he can figure it out while the players are locked out. Anyway, um, one last Patreon question. It comes from Tim Braun. Uh, he's asking, what is the most random jersey you've ever seen while attending a sporting event? Game two of the NLDS, I stumbled upon a guy in a Marcus Mariota Titans jersey in Milwaukee. That seems weird. Can you guys top that? I guess, Paul, what's your favorite random jersey you've seen? So I, the context there is random by like team that doesn't belong, I guess. But I think I've, I've mentioned before the most random jersey I've ever seen is a Gus Polidor jersey, um, which <laughs> yeah. I joked last time must be a member of his family. Um, but I've, I, I also, um, before a Cubs game at the, at the Cubby Bear, I saw, saw a guy who had a half Paul Molitor stitched to a half Brett Favre jersey with the fours oh, lined up, man. which you can't do because they're not even close to the same shape. So it's a Frankenstein monster of a garment that didn't really work. <laughs> um, that's the most random jersey I've ever seen. Oh, man. Um, but like out of place, like at Cubs games, there's like 
10% of the people that are there have out-of-place jerseys. Like Cardinal jerseys show up at basically every game. I used to, for some reason, go to a lot of Astros games when they were still in the National League. And uh, at the, at that, like I used to see, like I saw a Philadelphia Eagles game at one of them once um, for no good reason. It was Ty Detmer. No, wait. It was... It was oh shoot! It was a Detmer, but they had two Detmer. So I was it Koi Detmer. They had Koi Detmer, but they I think they also had Ty Detmer. So yeah, I, I forget which Detmer it was, but it was a Detmer. <laughs> oh, can can you top a Detmer, Ryan? No, I honestly I can't think of ones that are completely out of context. Normally, what I see are assholes from Chicago wearing Cubs <laughs> Bears gear at like Brewers Marlins games in Milwaukee. And you're like, why are you here and what are you doing with your life? Like, what is what is your problem? Um, I can't think of anything. I mean, I've seen a number of in in hundreds of games at at the park in Milwaukee. I have seen some really random Brewers jerseys, you know, jerseys and whatever. Yeah. Like, I've seen some really, really random stuff, like things where clearly somebody like got it autographed by them because they won it in that last day of the year, the shirt off their back day. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, it still like the dirt, <laughs> like the dirt stain on it, like from the slide. You got the Seth McClung autographed uh, jersey or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or like <laughs> just, you know, the guy, the Mike Rivera jersey from, you know, like the guy who was called up to be the fourth catcher in September yes. back when you could have four catchers in September, like that sort of thing. Seen all kinds of stuff like that. But no, normally it's just assholes from chicago wearing inappropriate stuff to a game that has nothing to do with their team some people just like going to baseball games ryan yeah but they don't where's the fault in that yeah but they don't I mean, to... I go to random games not involving the brewers on a fairly regular basis and i don't wear brewers gear to yeah. those games i mean i wear just generic clothing <laughs> okay do that. i i i have to cop to it because i usually if i go on the road like when i went to uh Colorado and to Philly this year. I wore Brewers stuff to those parks. There you go. But that's, see, but see, that's that's truly What's random. This asshole from Milwaukee so, doing so it. Course the, answer, the answer is you. Yeah, it's me. It's <laughs> me. Your answer is you. But the thing is, in that case, in my defense, I'm not at like a rival's park. I'm just some rando in a Brewers jersey where everybody's like, well, "What the hell is this guy doing?" Were like, you just complaining about Cubs fans doing that? <laughs> no, no. But Cubs fans coming to Milwaukee. For a series like that's different because we're in the same division and we have a rivalry like there. That's a different thing. I'm 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 uh, justifying my existence here. Paul. Okay. Just watch you know, thinking of Ryan just sitting there at a random Rockies Padres game with his like Ryan Rockies, Rockies Pirates on. Rockies Pirates. And it was oh a, a Ricky God. Weeks jersey. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Jeez. OK, that took a turn. Yeah, I, I guess. Y'all can let us know what's the most random jersey you saw. Just throw us an ad on Twitter at MKE Tailgate and let us know. Because there's always the gems. You know, like there's the standard Brian Shouses of the world and whatever. But... For playoffs, I got this Ricky Weeks All-Star orange jersey. That oh, I, wow. And I didn't wear it for the last game because I was out. So it is still lucky. Is that from the home run derby where he hit zero home runs? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's uh, the ugly orange jersey. So do you look like Marlins man, basically? Uh, pretty much, yes. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I I respect it. What's well, a Brewers jersey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully it, it keeps working for you. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. All right. Uh, one more question before we kind of wrap things up here. This comes from Twitter. Uh, reminder, you can also send us questions via Twitter at that Twitter account I just mentioned. We got a question from Vinny Cornells this week. 
He's asking, do you think it's possible the Brewers win the series against the Braves scoring only single digit runs the way it's looking? The pitching is going to have to dominate until and if and when the bats heat up. So, Paul, how, I guess how low scoring can they go and still pull this out? So a single digit, I assume, just means like they never score more than one run in an inning. Is that? Yeah. I mean, Rowdy, put up, Rowdy put up two. So um, <laughs> No, I think he means like single but digits like, total runs for the series. Oh, uh, I mean, that's yeah. totally possible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you'll have to win three games for one thing. And it's uh, they, they can win three games uh, and lose a game, only putting up nine runs very easily. <laughs> in fact... If they get um, four and three runs in Atlanta, I will give them a very good chance of winning the series. So yes, there's a good chance of that. I, I think they maybe explode for more than that, but yeah, uh, like that—that that is very plausible. I would say maybe even more plausible than than scoring more than that is. Yeah, I uh, would agree with all of that. Yeah, if they, yeah, a four and a three, and I would give them a pretty decent chance of advancing on that. Sure. I mean, this this Brewers team is built a little different, right? Like we've mm-hmm. gotten used to the yeah. Brewers teams that mash, but uh, you know, this year they're trying the pitching and defense thing. So we might just see a lot of three to one games. Uh, we'll, we'll see if it works. It works, you know. So we'll just see how it plays out. Uh, reminder, as always, if you want to ask a question, we got a lot of good ones this week. You can sign up to become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Sign up there. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority. When you sign up to become a patron, you also get a shout out here. So we actually kind of wanted to do an expanded shout out actually this week, Ryan, right? Both our new patrons and all the folks that help us reach our fundraising goal. Yeah. So first off, welcome on board to the Patreon fold, Whitney. Uh, No last name. You just put Whitney in there and I'm going to respect that and not, you know, go and figure out what your last name is based on the email or something. So Welcome, Whitney. And uh, yeah, I did want to give shout out to the people who donated, including our very own Paul Noonan, who uh, generously donated to that effort to get rid of the baseball. He (laughs) was uh, relatively early in the whole thing. I have not given my donation yet, but at the wedding I was at this weekend, my mom gave me an envelope with $100 in it and said, donate this to Hunger Task Force Milwaukee. Uh, we couldn't figure out how to do it online. <laughs> was that's like, awesome. Okay. So, yeah, so I have, I have a, a donation from them, and I'll match that as well. So there's going to be 200 more added to this nice. from, what, uh, from what we have there. But I need to find where is the, the list. So a lot of these are Twitter handles, so they're not necessarily names. I'll, I'll just run down the list here. Um, Emergency P, um, Marconi 207, Day Schaller, uh, LHST 003, uh, Noted Johnson 52, Justin Sayan. Hey, it's somebody whose name I actually can identify there. Uh, and then our very own Badger Newton, uh, Brad Westness, Brewers Numbers, um, James Vandy, um, I think it's Corey Dietrich, and I believe he's a Patreon subscriber. Um, Tim Braun is, uh, I believe, one of the people here. Uh, Greg Schuler is definitely a, a Patreon guy. Um, AKA Beefcake. <laughs> <laughs> that's for you, that's Steve. Amazing. That's for you. That's uh, actually Steve's yeah. burner. <laughs> um, we have Gabe uh, G1970. Um, Brew Crew Blue, for those of you who know what that huh. means. Yeah, yeah he uh, 
he gave uh, he gave fifty dollars. Uh, old friend of mine, a former member of my season ticket group, Jeff Johnson. Um, Jay Google gave fifty two point five dollars. That's very specific. <laughs> very specific. And uh, Brian Polakowski, um, another former member of my uh, season ticket group, uh, Andrea Cummings, uh, donated. Ben Oler was the one who put us over the dollar amount. He was yes. the uh, the magic number uh, haver. Um, Steve Garshinsky is on here. And uh, also Heather Hansen, my former uh, across the hall neighbor from when I still live downtown. Uh, she also gave money, I'm assuming from their uh, their wedding stash that they just got. So uh, <laughs> she donated as well. She was actually sitting next to me at the baseball game when I caught that ball. So uh, they were the ones oh, who so went she had with. an incentive to get rid of it. Yeah. So, yeah, we were. Well, they're also I guess she's somewhat of a Bruce and her husband's a twins fan because he comes from the Dakotas. They both come from the Dakotas. She's adopted the Bruce because she didn't really care. So now she's 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 going full on with the Brewers thing. He's he's maintaining the Twins fandom and yeah, respect to that. All right. Well, thanks to all of you people out there who who helped uh, with with this. You know, obviously a lot of fun that that we had with the idea of blowing up the ball and all that stuff, but also goes to a good cause. So uh, we were able to raise a lot of money. Um, I know the hunger task force folks actually reached out to Ryan to, you know, kind of thank us for doing this too. So that was kind of cool. Um, so you guys are making a difference and we, we very, very much appreciate all your generosity, uh, you know, anything that you guys could give. So it is very cool to see kind of the, the brewers community come together, you know, for a silly cause, but also a, a good cause as well. So thanks everybody. Well, and also it should be noted that people gave to their local food pantries as well. There was uh, at right. least one to a food pantry in DC and there was one to the Oshkosh Food Pantry. So I think most of them were Hunger Force Task Force, Hunger Task Force Milwaukee, but not all of them. Yeah. So, you know, obviously do good where you are. Right. So we love to yep. see that. So uh, thank you again to everybody. Uh, we very much appreciate it. And also, as always, we would greatly appreciate it if you left us a review and rating for this podcast, help other people find us out there as well, kind of help us climb the rankings there and, and, and get more ears on us uh, ranting and raving every single week. Um, and as that extra incentive, a reminder, if you leave a five star review, uh, Paul will read literally anything you write in the review. It doesn't matter what it is. Five stars. We'll take it and he'll read it. And I think we actually have a couple to catch up on, Paul. We'll start with Simon Beaumont's secretary. I'm going to assume that's supposed to be Belmont in a Castlevania reference, but could be wrong. <laughs> but, uh, wow. Uh, what? <laughs> Probably. Um, so it, it, it is entitled Devin Williams' The Wall, which is thank you for that. Um, I'm a longtime listener that uses Spotify for podcasts, and so up to this point, I did not leave a review. Sorry about that, guys. This is a fantastic show that I look forward to every week. The guys provide great analysis regarding the week in Brewers baseball. I always learn a lot about fringe players, whether or not rising stars are actually good, and to never doubt CeCe's decisions. I highly recommend this pod, and its Packers companion reporting is eligible. However, I believe that this pod provides more value. Thanks. No offense to JR and Mattel. Football <laughs> analysis is just more obvious to me. Please don't take pictures of me and upload them to Twitter when I'm not looking, <laughs> which Matt does every show if you follow the podcast. Uh, it's my new favorite bit, Matt. Keep doing it. I don't <sighs> care. Given the lack of Brewers content out there, this is definitely a show you do not want to miss. P.S. I want Paul to say Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback in NFL history, and I'm sorry for making fun of his hair and calling him a putz. 
PPS, <laughs> this is not Aaron. So, oh, well done. Man. Good five-star review. Um, and we got one more from Huber330. Um, uh, very short and to the point. Best Brewers podcast. Easily the best Brewers podcast where one of the hosts has actively cursed the team. So, uh, <laughs> but but not anymore. So we're all we're all set on that front. There as always, any five star review that you leave, I will read it in its entirety as long as it's not like racist or anything. Yeah, that that would be the key. I will I will that. edit that, and and of course, if you leave anything other than a five star review, we won't read it and um, won't do anything about it. We'll just ignore it. So don't bother. <laughs> All or nothing here. Uh, but yeah, we thank you for those five star reviews. Uh, you know, as I said, it helps us out greatly and, you know, helps kind of get the fun out to more folks. So, uh, you know, leave that five star review or at least that five star rating. You don't even have to like write anything. Just hit that five stars, you know, <laughs> while you're there. Uh, super easy to do. And also while you're there, just hit that subscribe button too. You'll get that push alert whenever Ryan posts these uh, every Monday and you won't miss a beat then. It'll be right there on your screen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, whatever else. Just hit that subscribe button and you will never miss an episode. Uh, you won't want to miss next week. We'll be back uh, talking about how the rest of the NLDS went, for better or worse. Uh, hopefully better. And hopefully not lamenting over a crushing Game 5 loss. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, fingers crossed for the next couple of games here in Atlanta. Stay well, everyone. We will see you next time here on Milwaukee CLPs.